Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. This episode is brought to you by Gilt. So when it comes to building wealth, taxes are such a big part of the strategy. And even if you're already filed, being proactive about this year to lower your future liability is so important. Gelt actually provides a proactive approach to tax strategy, combining innovative technology and expert CPAs by creating personalized tax strategies for your unique financial needs of multiple revenue streams, M&As, restricted stocks, various investments and more. You can keep your hard-earned money. Our, their proprietary platform ultimately gives you the full transparency of your tax management and direct communication with your CPA to reach your financial goals and grow for your wealth faster. So again, you know, if you're interested in this, go to joingelt.com. Uh, and they are actually on the show notes that I'm going to be posting a very special offer for you all that you can actually enjoy. So again, you know, join Gelt. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So super excited about the guests that we have today. We're going to be talking about building, scaling, financing, all of that good stuff. And, you know, incredible, the rocket ship that he's built, you know, with his team. I mean, unbelievable, you know, just talking about being at the right time in history. I think that they definitely nail it. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Marcelo Lebre. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Super cool. So originally born there in Portugal. So give yes. us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up there? Oh, yeah. So, um, well, living in Portugal is pretty easy going, I, I must admit. I'm uh, born and raised small village um, up north uh, called Enadia, um, as far from most things. Then later on, I went to Aveiro. Um, some may know. It's like this, uh, it's called the Portuguese Venice. Um, there's canals and, and tiny rivers everywhere. I went there for college. And then in 2010, I moved to Lisbon, the capital um, of, of Portugal, essentially to, you know, be able to have more job opportunities and be exposed to a different industry because all these places I've been before are super, super tiny. Um, and, in, and by tiny, I mean you can traverse them 15 minutes walking. And, and so coming into Lisbon, uh, you know, 2010, I unpacked, I got my new uh, room, um, and I got this invitation from a, fo- a friend that was move- that moved to Lisbon recently. And, you know, my girlfriend at the time was with me. They're also friends. And we were like, oh, let's, let's go have a coffee. And the partner of, you know, my friend was uh, Yob. So to Yob is my co-founder and CEO. And we sort of got along pretty well. And, you know, we built our stuff across the years. But, you know, after that, I built a few teams, a few companies, been a CTO a couple of times, VP of engineering as well around Lisbon. So I never moved out. And, you know, come end of December, uh, end of 2018, Yob and I were very laser focused on building something that we both believed was impactful enough so that, you know, we would bet our careers on it. They would build something important and, and impactful around it as well, because we didn't want to use, you know, our time nor money to build something that is just an app. 
So, so in your in your case, how do you get into engineering? You know, how did you develop that love for it? Yeah, well, it's, this app actually started super early on in my life. My grandfather, um, he had like this electric training, electrician tech training, whatever you want to call it. So he was the uh, gadgety sort of a person of the family, and I learned this from him. And as I said, we we I I live in a small, tiny village. Um, it's not even a city. Um, it's hard to find on a map. And you know, at the time, he was the only person on a huge radius that had a computer. It was a Spectrum. And I, I sort of, I was like, what is this? I remember being super young, maybe six, I don't know. And I pointed it, it had a keyboard and it looked weird. Um, and, and it was like, oh, this is a computer. You want to see how it works? And then he showed me how it worked. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. And I kept playing with it as, as time progressed. I, I bought a few consoles, um, at, you know, early stage master system and stuff like that. Most people don't even know what it is. And, and, but I kept going back to that thing because there was a book that was in English, which I knew nothing about because I didn't speak English. But there were these images that showed you how to create a triangle and make dots move on the screen. And I started playing it. It was programming at the basic four. And I sort of got into it and, and most certainly into breaking computers and <laughs> installing things I shouldn't. And that got me into this thing of, I kind of enjoy this. And I went into university and had the worst grades ever. I, because I was, I, I just wanted to have fun uh, with the stuff that I was into it. And most universities are kind of outdated uh, even today. And eventually I, I met this um, professor that I was like, look, I'm four years in out of a five-year degree, a master's. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm going to do after this. Like, what do I know? I can uh, sum up, you know, binary numbers. Yes. Convert them into hexadecimal. Yes. Is this useful? I kind of doubt. And I sat down with, you know, this professor that then introduced me to another and we ended up having this discussion, like, I want to learn to do something useful. And they're like, oh, we have this project, a research project, if, if you want to join. Then I joined and I, I did my master uh, thesis with them around sensor networks, Internet of Things, early stage stuff. And I, I felt, uh, you know, super in love with building and creating things, especially out of nowhere. And especially, uh, most especially, challenging things that most people are like, oh, this is crazy. Um, and then it was the beginning of it all. And then in your case, you know, what happened is you go at it, you know, into um, becoming, you know, an engineer in different companies. And, and you even alluded to it. In your case, I mean, you've built engineering teams. You know, how, especially, you know, before you started with remote, and we'll talk about it in just a little bit, but how was that experience of building engineering teams? Because building engineering teams is very complex. You know, typically when you're like building something, it's not like you can just like add like hundred people, hundreds of people into it to just speed things up. In fact, you know, that could be counterproductive. So how do you typically go about building an engineering team? And what did you learn around, you know, this concept, you know, when going through these different companies? There's a lot of complexities that I learned to manage and that today I, 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 we managed to build this company because of a lot of the things that I learned from 
you know, my engineering career, things like, you know, parallelizing work, working efficiently because otherwise, you know, systems crash or having to reserve uh, resources because otherwise you can't really process what you want to process. And all these tiny things. And of course, building a team, you know, hiring engineers is not easy, let alone it's also one of the reasons why I started remote. It's because hiring a good engineering team out of Portugal is not as easy as just hiring an engineering, you know, out of the UK or, uh, you know, the US. And all these sort of, you know, on, on all these problems and challenges, they build you up. They create this sense of, you know, it's just another puzzle, and you break it down to its purest form, divide and conquer, all that. And, and you go at it regardless of what it is. And that was essentially what not only led me to remote, but also to lead, I don't know, 70, 80% of the companies today is like, eight, remote is like over a thousand people and taking on much more work than just engineering because the concepts apply, you know, within the engineering mindset is, is no, it, you don't have to have a degree, to be honest. The only thing you need to be able to do is break down complex problems and, and solve them. However, uh, you know, you're going to solve. So you were, you were obviously, you know, while you were there in Lisbon, jumping from one company to the next. And, yeah. you know, here you find yourself in 2019, you know, you were at uh, on Babel and, and, and typically on average, you would spend like one to two years. So yeah. it sounds like it was like right around the time where, you know, you wanted to maybe make a change. So what made it different this time where instead of just going to another company, you are like, I think it's my time, you know, to start something. Yeah. Um, so in 2010, I was very, um, you know, coming from a tiny village, you grow up being a bit averse to risk, right? Um, it's not like, um, especially early, you know, in Portugal where there are not a lot of opportunities, risking your career, your income is, it can be tricky. And it's culturally was not culturally very well accepted. You know, startups at the time were like, oh, it's the kind of thing you don't want to go into because, you know, that doesn't put uh, food on the table. And, you know, I had these, it, it feels like I went through a scenario where that leads me to remote. It's a bit of like the movie Slumdog Millionaire where, you know, the guy's not a genius, but he was in certain scenarios across his life that led him to very critical conclusions. And to me, that that was a bit it. You know, I, I come to Lisbon looking for, you know, opportunity to grow, extend myself, push myself, because I used to be a small town village, and that was it. And, you know, the opportunities in Lisbon were much, like, exponentially higher than where I come from. But at the same time, I, I sort of joined this big company, uh, consulting company, and even though things were going well, actually very well from my career, I felt like another person and I felt like, shit, I can do so much more, but it's like, you know, people don't want to hear me out. It, it was not a product-led company, it was consulting, you know, pretty good conditions, working conditions and, and, and comp, but that was it. You know, there has to be more out of this. And then a colleague sort of told me, hey, there's this company opening in Lisbon. I'm moving in. I'm, I'm, I'm going to start working for them. They're looking for someone with your expertise. You want to have a chat with them. And I did. And there's like, oh, but I'm only like two years or whatever at this company. Because I still had that mindset of, yeah, you need to spend like two, four years. You know, otherwise people will look down on you. 
but I still I got in, in, enticed with the idea of helping this company build up uh, their office um, in Lisbon, and I moved in, and it's a company of like seventy people, um, and you know, two years in, also going well, and across this time, I started to build my own projects with Yob, right? Uh, we built our own apps that we would never launch. Now, you know, some people go to soccer with friends or, you know, playing cards. And Yob and I would work, you know, distant from each other because it was at some point we were in Lisbon, but he moved out to the Netherlands. And we'd build apps and platforms and stuff and we, because we just had, a, you know, fun doing it. And, you know, around, around, right around this time, we sort of applied to this incubator in Lisbon. And they turned us down. They said... Look, uh, folks, you don't really know much about anything, so you're too young. Uh, we're not gonna. It's like a, they would invest. I don't know. It's like twenty k or something. Um, in in the idea or founders, and they they turned us down. It was like we were very depressed about it. I was working really long hours. Yo quit to try to do it. Um, he learned to go at this around the same time, and I was working like from six p.m. seven p.m. to you know, 2, 3 a.m. every single day. We submitted our, you know, ID, our project, and got turned down. And so I was like, fuck, I, I feel there's more to this. I had this itch I couldn't scratch. And that turned into this sort of weird search where, you know, another friend of mine was like, look, uh, we're building a new startup. We need, you know, you, you have a few, a bit of experience leading teams. We, we would love you to come in and, and speak to our founder and, and see, you know, what he could do. He was an engineer. So I did, and I went in, and I'm like, uh, why don't you join us as CTO? This is like a five-people company. You know, a CTO is just a fancy title for whatever. And I'm like, sure, but I had this huge imposter syndrome. Maybe I don't know enough. Um, but I got excited with that thing of, you know, not having... A, a safety network, uh, network or safety net uh, to support me because if that company fail, I'm out of a job. And back then, you know, the mentality that it was instilled in, in, in me was you can't be without of a job because otherwise you're going to end up in a poor situation. And I'm so, I was so worried about it. And I remember, you know, joining that people, that team, and I was there for a really long, uh, 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 you know, very little time. Um, for like eight, nine months, if that. I had a huge kick doing that. But I then I realized, okay, this is sort of the model that I want to work in, but I don't buy the product. Um, they went on and kept doing things, but I'm like, I, I don't see it. And how can I be a CTO of a company uh, that I, I just, uh, I, don't, I, I don't truly believe in it? Yes, it was great, great uh, marketing. Um, idea, great, um, you know, financial planning made a lot of sense. But to me, I had no passion for it. I'm like, there's something missing here. And I'm, I'm missing out on something. Meanwhile, I kept building stuff with you um, that we never launched. We were just having fun. And I, another friend of mine, this, I, 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 to be honest, at all this time, I never applied to a job. Um, you know, so many years later, I realized that I never actually applied to a job. There was this one friend that would, you know, know me and was like, you want to come in and, and talk to someone? And there was another friend. He was, um, you know, CTO at this um, fund in Portugal, Faber Ventures. 
It's like, look, um, you know, the, the, the way forward operated was they would invest half in money and half in kind, meaning you'd come in with an idea as a founder and would give you half of the investment in money and half with a technical team with, you know, product know-how that would help you build something from the ground, almost like a, you know, venture build uh, scenario. And I was like, okay, this uh, sounds a bit, you know, more exciting and challenging all in all. So I, I, I took the challenge and I was like, I felt a huge, tremendous, you know, imposter syndrome. Here I am all of a sudden joining, you know, a fund, you know, and I knew very little about investment in startups. I knew about startups, but not investment. And now I have, you know, to liaise with my team, engineering team and product and, and, you know, try to work with other founders, even technical founders, you know, to work through early stage problems, building, scaling, hiring, managing a company in whatever I, and, and help the fund find new companies and do our due diligence as well. And that exposure was insane, right? It was it's like it being infused every day with the challenges of, you know, uh, 20, portfo- 20 companies in a portfolio, reaching out to you and say, hey, because we're all in the same building um, and they're like, uh, would value your opinion on this. We should chat about this. You know, can your team help us with that? And I was so, you know, and, and, and exposed to all of this that all of a sudden I was, you know, it's like you're part of 20 startups, but at the same time, not really. Because you feel the pain, but you know the joy is not really yours. Um, at the end of the day, and, and and also the risk is not yours. But you know, I would get. I, I was really, really infused with it. And later on, you know, two years later, the fund started to slowly change uh, gears more towards you know investing less uh, from the technical standpoint. Also, because companies either evolve and get their teams, or they just die out. Right? And so as, as funds start to, um, you know, reach a, a later stage in their um, life cycle, you have less and less, you know, exciting stuff to deploy or less and less opportunities to deploy cash on. And I was like, I really like this. So um, I'm, I'm, one day, you know, we're sort of having a conversation and there was, was one company, there was a per- portfolio company, it was Unbabel. And... I was very good friends with uh, the founders, and one day I'm having lunch with with uh, the CTO there, and Juan. I was a good friend still today, and I was like, "Hey," um, because I, I would go there often to their office to talk about their scaling stuff and you know building companies and the team and whatnot. And I was like, "Look, I'm I'm thinking about you know either building my own thing or you know just do something different. Uh, I think now I know enough to do it." And I think I'm going to go for my own thing. And, but, and I said, but I don't really know what, and I just don't want to start just a new app or another app or another, you know, thing that's going to, you know, be sold after like one year or die. Um, you know, I know enough to, you know, build something nice, but I also don't want to join a massive company. And he was like, why don't you join us? Um, we need a VP of engineering. Company is scaling. We just raised. I, you, you could really, you know, use this time to, you know, understand what it is that you want to build, but at the same time, have fun building something with me. And it was it. And so I joined and Babel was a great, great uh, ride too. And 
come December 2018, I have this discussion, conversation with you. Like, dude, okay, look. We have significant know-how. Actually, we had a few colleagues, uh, um, angel investors, funds, that kept banging us because, you know, for whatever reason, they we knew um, uh, these people and, you know, for past dealings, both Yo was at GitLab VP of product. And I had been in a few startups and people would say, look, anytime you want to build your own thing, let me know. I would love to have a chat about it. And, and so I was like, dude, um, it won't be for lack of money, um, but we we shouldn't throw away our careers just to start some crazy of our uh, one crazy app like so many others that we built. And then we decided to kill because we didn't have time to sell anything, not even market it. And we started talking about this, you know, what, you know, what moves us? What is significantly challenging that, you know, we're going to bet our careers on it. You know, my wife was pregnant um, at the time. Yo had a tiny, a, a small baby as well. Super, um, super tiny at the time. Um, and like we're gonna it's not gonna be easy, but it's never easy. And also it's never a good time. So, you know, we started having this discussion, like what what excites us? Excites us. Why what are the really big ass challenges we're trying to solve that we could be solving? And then from GitLab was a fully distributed company, it was very easy that you know remote work is still to be was still to be solved in, in as matter of employment and supporting companies that are remote. And I was suffering from the other side. I couldn't hire locally the people that I wanted. So hard to bring them over, hard to work with the people because the, 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 the financial and compensation arrangement was tough. And you have a lot of problems, you know, paying people across the world too, let alone manage them. And then we came to this and I'm like, this is it. This is, this is it. Um, and it just felt right. Um, I, I wish I could say that I had, I did my, research my numbers my uh, no it just really felt right it, like the moment we started thinking about it, it was like shit this this mountain is huge we know nothing about the space from you know a, a legal tax employment perspective that that's what kept us uh, more excited the more we spoke about it and you know a week later i'm you know having a conversation with with my my boss adam babel and say look i'm gonna quit I'm gonna do this, and that that's it. Um, and he was super nice about it, uh, and and that's why we're still friends today. And uh, Yob, and I was like, told Yob, look, I want to do this. I just quit. I really just quit. And he was like, shit, you never, you didn't tell me that. And I said, look, I can hold it. Um, I think this is it. I'm gonna quit. I quit, <laughs> and. We, we can start at different times, but I'm going to start now. And that was it. Next day, he quit too. Hey, guys, this episode is brought to you by .tech Domain. So, I mean, obviously, if you're a startup or an entrepreneur, you got to be super careful on how you go about your presence and how you get the catchy domain. And that's why I recommend .tech Domains as the go-to place to really get your own domain. Uh, a good example here is Aurora.tech which is an innovative brand that has the .tech domain associated to it. Aurora.tech actually works at the intersection of rigorous engineering to address one of the most challenging issues of our generation, which is transforming the way that people and goods move. It is set to launch Horizon, 
which is Aurora's first autonomous service that's designed to bring safety value and efficiency to carriers and fleet owners. I've actually arranged an amazing deal for all of you, and that is you can get your one-year domain for $10 or a five-year domain for $50. Just go to go.tech forward slash dealmakers, and that's again go.tech forward slash dealmakers to get your own. So I guess for the people that are listening to really get it, what ended up being the business model of remote? How do you guys make money? We're a global employment company. Um, essentially, we uh, help you manage and pay people across the world. One single platform to manage and yeah, pay your people, contractors, employers, global payroll. We just do it all. And that's how we make money. And we started January 2019. And today we're over a thousand people all across the world, no single office. I mean, one thing that is absolutely incredible is timing. Talking about being at the right time in history, eh? who would have told you guys that COVID, you know, would come along, you know, just like a year or two right after you had started the business and really push this through to heights that probably you could even, you know, you, you would have never imagined. So how do you think that COVID accelerated, you know, your guys's, you know, operation? It's very uh, interesting because um, at the time, before COVID hit, we were already growing so, so, so much. We didn't have, we couldn't hire enough salespeople. Um, we had over two months of backlogs, you know, sales calls. Like Yob and I would have to do sales ourselves. We just couldn't, even this way before COVID hit, because there was nothing out there like what we were offering and what we're bringing to market. And then when, you know, COVID hits, you know, like six months later or something, or nine months later, they're like, holy fuck. Because all of a sudden, you you don't know what's cap what's coming, but we started getting, you know, companies coming to us left and right. Um, first for, you know, help. How do you manage a company like this? Because we were already remote from day one. We never were in an office. We never, you know, most of us never actually met in person. And the pull was massive. And the biggest change, and I usually say this, is that it pushed the world to understand that remote work was not just possible, but very beneficial too. The biggest change here was us um, not needing to explain to people what remote work was, because people already knew. Anything, um, it was an easy sell already, but then the conversation became even shorter as time progressed. And that was a massive catalyst for the remote work and for remote as a business. And and I guess, you know, one thing that comes to mind is how do you also go about, because you already had like two months, as you said, of, 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 of a log there of sales calls that you needed to really, you know, get back to. So when COVID hit, how did you guys manage to make sure that you wouldn't die of success? Yeah. Um, we had no time even to think about it, even today. The way we grew across these four years uh, was based on pure insanity. Um, we we started, we realized that, you know, we wanted to build things and we needed to build it and stuff for our customers, but also to ourselves because we needed to build a scalable system that enabled us to process payroll, you know, pay people across the world, have working contracts have the legal expertise the tax expertise um the, we we never 
partner up with a, a, a third party. So we own all the things that we ran in all the countries. And that's what made us and still makes us unique is that, you know, we own all the things. We know all the things. But it takes time to port that knowledge into technology. And we knew when the moment I started seeing this as, as a CTO that I was at the time, I was like, I'm seeing the amount of people were um, starting to manage and pay growing exponentially every week. And to me, it was very obvious. Like we're, we're processing all, you know, all operations, you know, from legal, onboarding, HR, payroll, very as if we were talking about, you know, growing a company. But this is not, right? This is fundamentally not. This is helping other companies grow across the world. And the exponential side of it is so massive that the same processes would not uh, go well. It would just be pain and in, impossible, in, 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 in actually, would break us. And so I was like, okay, I, I started having discussions and conversations with my co-founder. And I was like, look, we got to move fast. If we don't start to automate things aggressively, I think, I think we're going to hit some sort of ceiling uh, with our expansion because we will not be able to serve our customers in a way that we envision. If a platform is to be a platform, and not like a service hidden behind the website. There has to be significant weight behind automation. But to, for, to do that, we need to know deep down what these things are about. Like, what are the operational needs? What are technical things behind it? So at that moment, I took over um, the operational world too, from support to you know payroll and all in between engineering, and I start, you know, going from just my own merry little world as a CTO to owning, you know, owning 80% of the business. And the reason why I wanted to do it is, for one, there's never anyone more passionate about your company than yourself. Second, so early stage, the only way you can build it out is if you really understand the pain and struggle of, of the area, but also what you are trying to solve. And so you can do it vicariously through others. And especially early stage, you need the intensity to build it. You need, you know, uh, the gumption, you need, you know, the sleepless nights and the, all that crazy stuff so that you go through the pain, but your customers don't. And that was it. Um, the only way and, and, and the only way out and the way that we scale this business was through that motion of keep building a few steps ahead of what the market wanted and needed, uh, expanding the platform, making sure that companies had, you know, everything they needed in front of them. If there's a problem that you have the right motions within support and, and, and CX to, you know, reach out to, you know, whatever needs to be reached out to and get stuff done. And also, you know, this is a very, uh, we handle people's livelihood and, you know, companies' uh, structures and, you know, time offs and stuff like that. If you fail as a business, you're going to make others fail. And so, we knew from day one that it was a high risk, high reward business. Um, and that made part of every single decision that I made and I made with my co-founder since day one, but based on a lot of anxiety uh, and, and, you know, that can be a superpower or super problem, but you have a choice. Yeah. And, and, then, and then what about supporting the business on the capital side because obviously you know when you're growing so fast you know you you got to keep up and and that requires money so yeah. 
how do you guys go about you know the capital raising efforts yeah um we never had much trouble raising money um it was you know the best thing that ever happened to us to be honest because raising money is very time consuming it's very distracting uh instead of building the company you're 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 you know just meeting people that sometimes have no um you know nothing to add to your business so from one side we're very lucky we're always we we handpick the people that you know we would take on as investors and that helped us build a path um to success and forward and eventually you know we we raised Till today, all in total, like uh, half a billion, so 500 million uh, in four years. Um, latest one was Series C, 300 million. And and that was it. Hopefully, we'll, we'll never raise again. But that, that has been it. And, and how did you pick the investors? Because, I mean, obviously, first rodeo for you guys, you know, what were you looking for? So it had to be people that you could have, as a, you know, the typical ad value yeah. thing. And, you know, most of it is a kind of bullshit. Oh, yeah. um, um, if not 99%. But what I wanted was ex-operators, people that knew what it was to deal with shit building and being in high grow, hyper growth companies, people that were behind the fund that is helping and focused on, that understand that helping the companies is a long-term game, is a marathon, and it's not a sprint. Um, you know, the typical smart money, but which is really hard to spot. Um, and and that was it. Like most of our fundraising was us interviewing our investors. Of course, the opposite also happens. But we were very fortunate on being able to pick the people that joined uh, our our journey because you know we've grow we we grew super fast. We always had the numbers on our you know uh, on our side. Um, and that helped paint a great picture uh, as well. And so it made it easy. The first, you know, we raised Series C uh, when you, we started to have this economic downfall that took, you know, a couple months uh, uh, to close. All other rounds were like one to two weeks uh, wow. tops. Um, it, you know, most of the investors just followed up, followed on, and, and we met a couple more super interesting as well people and we went for the people not necessarily for the fund but for the people and the track record that they had uh and we did a lot of due diligence on them for <laughs> for sure and, and, and what, what did you do there on the diligence what, what were some of the things that you did well i'll talk to other founders it's so simple as that you know you, you you go talk to other founders you go talk to other funds too because there's a portuguese saying on the back of others i see mine um, essentially, the way you treat others, uh, what goes around comes around, and so uh, you, you can put a lot of feelers uh, out there and understand how how these people act. Not when things are good, but when things are bad, oh, yeah. and that is the most important thing because you know every goddamn investor is great whenever there's money. Um, the moment shit happens, that's when you see the true color of people, not the fund. The fund is just made up out of people. And so that our journey was in that from that regard a very um fortunate one because we have people that you know to me I think about them as as part of the company I love it now obviously you know like as part of people you know whether it's investors customers or or also employees you know there's always a vision a vision that gets them 
excited about that compelling future that everyone is living into. So to that regard, imagine if you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of remote is fully realized. What does that world look like? Our main mission, so we're both parents. Our vision, if you're talking about that, is we're both parents. And I'm a parent from a country that doesn't have the same opportunities as others, even though it's a very uh, peaceful place. I want wealth and well-being to be uh, to reach a balance and equilibrium across the world. That's what I want. I want that my kid has tremendous opportunities in front of him without having to explain to someone that he is from Portugal, but that's fine because actually you speak good English and, and that you can work from here or that you're willing to move. I don't want him to have to explain. The same that I don't want anyone else to have to explain or readapt, readjust their whole life so that they have a shot at having, you know, food on the table every day so that they can, you know, buy the things that they need and want. And that the world is a f more, more fair place and more balanced out as far as uh, wealth distribution uh, goes across the world, which, as we know, it's very much not the case. And because of that, I believe that remote work is just a first step into the future of work, where instead of, you know, you, you live to work, you start to work to live. It's a very, very different place. So if I, you know, somehow wake up there, I want to look back and see, you know, yeah, remote is, you know, the platform where companies can hire the best person in the world and the best person in the world can have a shot at the job that they want because we're all the best people in the world and they can have a shot at, at, at the job that they always wanted, even if they are in, in, in Kyrgyzstan and in, 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 in Afghanistan and Portugal and Spain. And this company is, happens to be in the U.S. or anywhere else for that matter. And that's what I want uh, for remote. That sounds beautiful. Now, let me ask you this. You know, we've been talking about the future here. I want to talk about the past, but with a lens of reflection. Let's say I put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time. I bring you back in time, maybe to that moment that, uh, that you were starting to think, you know, you wanted to do something. And let's say you had the opportunity of having a sit down with that younger self. And you're able to sit down that younger Marcelo and you give that younger Marcelo one piece of advice before launching a company. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Uh, I would just say fucking go. I think the, one of the most, there are several lessons that you pick up along the way. I never look back or waste much time looking back um, because I think, you know, life is deterministic. You do what you do because a set of things led you into that moment. So there are no ifs. But were that the case, and I try to do as much as, as you know, mentoring and advising as, as my time permits, it's the same thing that I'd say, I say to every early stage founder and often even late stage founders, you know, never trade in your intensity for any sort of misguided idea of stability or, you know, risk averse decision, just fucking go. I love that. 
That's very, very profound, Marcelo. Hey, for the people that are listening, that would love to reach out and say hi. What is the best way for them to do so? Yeah, it's very easy. Marcelo at remote.com or I'm on Twitter. Um, there's only another guy in the world with the same name as I have, Marcelo Lever, and we look very much different. Um, <laughs> you can uh, you can look me up on Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm very easy to find Marcelo from remote or even just Google me. It's very Amazing. easy. Well, hey, easy enough. Marcelo, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you. It was great being here. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.